ABCs of prayer, and we're up to the letter T. So we're looking at the thanksgiving of prayer and our Bible character to teach us concerning this would be the Apostle Paul. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, familiar verse uh, to most of us, I believe. But uh, someone has said, uh, it doesn't make any sense to pray when we're not thankful. It doesn't make sense to pray when we're not thankful. You ever prayed with a feeling that your prayers were not getting through? Well, I think we've all had some kind of an experience like that, probably more than once. But I wonder if we've considered that the fact that ingratitude might be the hindrance to our prayers. It certainly can be. Prayer and thanksgiving are inseparably linked together in the Bible. They cannot be disassociated. Tonight we're going to look at Philippians 4, 6. Many of you may even know this by memory. So you can read it from your Bibles or you can quote it. Let's do it together. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Now, I didn't rush anybody. I didn't keep anybody back. I just let you go at your pace. Right? Anyway, I once heard about a 10-year-old girl who tried to quote this verse. She began, be thankful for nothing and anxious for everything. And then she stopped and said, that doesn't sound right. I better start again. Well, the girl's mistake illustrates a mistake I think too many Christians make. Attempting to pray with being thankful for nothing. And that kind of praying goes into empty space, never reaches God, I believe. But after the girl had paused and reflected on Philippians 4, 6, she quoted the verse accurately, and that's what we need to do. If only we could pause and reflect on the many gifts that God has given and granted to us, we could pray with a greater measure of accuracy. Notice with me, first of all, the exposition. The exposition of Philippians 4.6. First of all, nothing and everything. Nothing and everything. Be careful for nothing. It's some sign said to be to mean be anxious for nothing, or not overly anxious. We see this in the definitions of the word careful, and anxious, and worry. Notice, first of all, the word careful. It means full of care, anxious. Uh, Martha thought, or Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. That's what it says in Luke 10. Uh, it means provident means to attentive to support and protect with, of, or for. Second Kings 4 says, Thou hast been careful for us with all care. Uh, what could a careful father more have done, someone has said. Now, in the present usage, careful is generally followed by uh, things like careful uh, driving, Careful with your health, 
uh, careful in your work. It also means watchful, cautious, giving good heed as being careful to maintain good works, careful with your conversation, uh, filling with care or solicitude, exposing to concern, anxiety, or trouble, full of cares. But then the word anxious is a word that uh, means greatly concerned or solicit, uh, solicitous, respecting something future or unknown, being painful suspense, being in painful suspense. You know, sometimes people misuse the word anxious by saying, I'm anxious to get there. Well, does that mean they're worried about getting there or they're greatly concerned? When they really mean, I'm eager to get there. That's so good. The word should be used. But anxious means very careful as well. Anxious to please. Anxious to commit. No mistake. Then the word worry means to tease or to trouble, to har harass with importunity or with care and anxiety. Persons are often worried with care. Let them rail and then worry one another at their pleasure. Worry him out till he gives his consent. Could mean to, fat be to fatigue, to harass with labor, uh, to harass by pursuit and barking like a dog, to tear or to mingle with the teeth, to vex. So these are three words that... Uh, uh, we often use, but here in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. Now the fact that of the matter is that Paul seems to be making a play on two indefinite pronouns, nothing and everything. Someone has put it this way, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Now, you go back to verse 4, and we're given one of the new commandments that God has given us. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now here's another command. Be careful for nothing, or worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Now the word nothing is a very interesting word, isn't it? You know, if you have something... It's not nothing. It's, uh, that's really not correct, correct grammar. It's not nothing. Two negatives there. But it is an ac accurate statement. Nothing is nothing, and you are to worry about nothing. So what are you worrying about? Nothing. Does this mean we're to look at life through rose-colored glasses? And we're not to face the realities of life? Are we to believe that sin is not real, that sickness is not real, uh, that problems are not real? Are we to ignore these things? Well, no. Paul says we are to worry about nothing because we are to pray about everything. Worry about nothing. I think we often admit that this is a commandment we often break. We have a tendency to worry about things. Now, the reason we worry about nothing, 
we are to worry about nothing is because we're to pray about everything. That means we're to talk to the Lord about everything in our lives. Nothing should be left out. Someone came up to G. Campbell Morgan with a question and said, Dr. Morgan, do you think we should pray about the little things in our lives? Dr. Morgan, in his characteristically British manner, said, Madam, can you mention anything in your life that is big to God? You see, when we say that we take our big problems to God, what do we mean? Actually, all of our big problems are little to God. And what we call little, he wants us to bring to him as well. As believers, we need to get in the habit of bringing everything to God in prayer, nothing excluded. Notice, secondly, thanksgiving and requests. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God never lets prayer just become a leap in the dark. When we pray... It rests upon a foundation. What is that foundation? It's the foundation of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Prayer rests on faith, and faith rests on the word of God. So that's our foundation. Now, he says that when we go to God with a request, we need to thank him. We need to thank him right then and there. Now, some might think this is to mean that when we get our answer to prayer, then we thank How about thanking God before we get our answer? See, that's what Paul is saying here. What he says is that when you make your request, right then and there, you're to thank God for hearing and answering. Say, but I don't know the answer. But God does. God knows the answer. You know, it's interesting to note about the words think and thank. They actually come from a common root. We could take time to think more. We would undoubtedly thank more. Now the problem again is that many times instead of our thinking becoming thanking, our thinking turns to worry. Sometimes we sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. But apparently we sing it as an exhortation to others. Count your blessings, name them one by one. When we ought to be counting our own blessings. And prayer thrives best in the soil of a thankful heart. Some of the most wonderful seasons of prayer will be times of praise and thanksgiving. Again, look at Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Again, there are two key words there, prayer and thanksgiving. And that's a wonderful combination. Whenever we approach God for anything, we should not fail to thank him for the blessings and the mercies that we already have received of him. Prayer without thanksgiving is ineffective. Every time we come to God in prayer, our approach should be with praise and thanksgiving. I think we often leave that out. We might say thanks once in a while, but, you know, many times we get right to our, our requests. You know, forget about the thanksgiving, but, and then we get right to, Lord, help me here. Lord, help me do this. 
Help me, help me, help me, help me. When we need to spend some time in praise and thanksgiving, I believe it's a rude imposition to come to God asking for anything without saying thanks for the past blessings. There should be the same urgency and definiteness in giving thanks to God as there is in asking of him. It must be a grief to God to listen to the requests of ungrateful children. Are we grateful? God wants us to pray and make requests of him, yes. But he expects us to come with a grateful spirit. Now, the devil does not want us to pray. Uh, he'll, he'll make it hard for you. He'll interrupt your life and your prayer life. The devil doesn't want you to pray. But if we feel we must, he satisfied if we just go through the motions, as long as we remain unthankful. And sin is too small to hinder prayer and turn prayer itself into sin. But I believe Paul is telling us here that praise is essential to prayer. So that's really the exposition. That's the ex explaining of Philippians 4.6. Notice some examples of Philippians 4.6. Some examples of this. Is this seen anywhere else in the Bible? Well, you guessed it. It, it is seen in the other places in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see this principle promoted and practiced. Look at from the Old Testament. The psalmist wrote, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalm 100. Now, Psalm 100 is not a very long psalm. It's a familiar psalm, but you see there as you read it, a dominating emphasis on the obvious commandment of praising God, being thankful. And just as the right approach to the earthly king's is guarded, so the right approach to God is important. When we come to the court of the king of kings, we come with thanksgiving. If our hearts do not contain gratitude and praise to him, the gates remain closed. It's a solemn duty to consider the rich blessings and benefits we've received from him. The recipients of God's blessings must be givers of thanks. Now, there are many other Praise songs in the Bible. Prayers of gratitude. This is true of the prayer of Moses. Children of Israel after their deliverance from Egypt in Exodus 15. And of the instruction to give thanks after they entered the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Uh, Ezra thanked God for gifts of King Artaxerxes, which helped to build and beautify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in Ezra 7. Uh, the psalmist thanked God for creation in Psalm 8 and for his greatness in Psalm 96. Isaiah thanked God for the triumphs of his day as well as Jeremiah thanked God, the Lord for many evidences of divine goodness. Jeremiah 32. And then, of course, Daniel. Daniel's a wonderful example of how he kneeled three times daily to give thanks to God. Daniel chapter 6. There's a boy carrying a loaf of bread from the bakery to his house, and he was stopped by his pastor, and the pastor said, Billy, where did you get that loaf of bread? From the baker, was the boy's reply. Yes, I know that, but where did the baker get it? 
He made it, said the boy. But how did he make it? Well, he made it with flour. Well, tell me, where did he get the flour? He ground it from the grain. Do you know where he got the grain? Yes, he got the grain from the farmer. And then his pastor said, now, Billy, I will ask you one more question. I want you to think very carefully about your answer. How did the farmer get his grain? Of course, the boy answered and replied, God made the grain to grow. And that's exactly what the boy's pastor wanted him to say and hoped he would say. He said, you're right, Billy. And you got your loaf of bread from God. So remember, when you sit down at supper tonight, Thank God for it. Have we forgotten, forgotten that behind every good gift, there is a divine giver? What about the things that we enjoy every day? Where did they come from? Well, I got them from Amazon, or I got them from Walmart, or I got them from here. No. We need to be thankful that God has given us the opportunity to have the things that we have the food that we eat, the cars that we drive. We say, well, I, I got that down at the, at the Ford dealer. I got it at the, you know, where, no, where did you get the money to buy that? Well, I have a job. And my boss gave me the money. Now, how did you get that job? God provided that for you. See, we're, we're dependent upon God. So many times we think we're independent, you know, independent Baptist. <laughs> we should be dependent Baptist because that's what we are. We are dependent upon God for everything in life. Now, we have some examples from the Old Testament. If we examine, uh, or from the Old Testament, we also have some Examples from the Lord Jesus. If we examine the prayers of the Lord Jesus, you'll find uh, that often he gave thanks. Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Matthew 26, 27, and he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. In Mark 8 and verse 6, and he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took those seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them and they did set them before the people. In John eleven forty one, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. You see, Jesus gave us a number of examples of his giving of thanks, and these are just a few. From the Apostle Paul, we examine the letters of Paul for their prayer content, we find much thanksgiving. Romans 1.8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians five twenty, Giving thanks always 
For all things unto God and the Father, the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. See how thanks and prayer go together? They did for Paul. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, and what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and 18. What's verse 17? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And then it goes on in verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. And then 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience without ceasing. I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. You see, whenever Paul prayed or spoke of prayer, very seldom did he ever omit this note of thanksgiving. And that's why I'm not surprised that that which took place in the heart and home of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had fallen into the hands of wicked men who beat them and bound them. Their first response, their first response was to turn to God in praise and thanksgiving. How many of us could do that? They come and arrest us. They take us off to jail. Praise the Lord. Could we do that? Could we sing praises? They didn't question why or ask God to see uh, set them free. In Acts 20, 16, where this takes place, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. You see, prayer and praise... Uh, that's a wonderful combination. Things are not going smoothly for them when they sing and they praise the Lord. These men were suffering hardship. And it's possible to be sorrowful yet rejoicing. We're not told what Paul and Silas prayed about. But I would guess that maybe they prayed for the salvation of those who persecuted them. Uh, or maybe they prayed for their fellow prisoners. Their prayers and their songs of praise, no doubt, were heard, not only by the guards, but by the prisoners, and of course, by God. That night, salvation came to a man and his household. So the combination of praise and prayer produced results. And so then, lastly, notice the expectation of Philippians 4.6. The expectation. Thanking God is an exercise of godliness in which Christians should engage themselves at all times and under all conditions. What can we expect when we do not include thanksgiving in our prayers? When we omit thanksgiving from our prayers, you know what we do? We rob God of the honor that is due to him. And we render our prayers powerless. There are some ways in which we cannot recompense God. However, the gratitude of our hearts does please God. 
What can we expect when we are truly grateful as we express our prayers and supplication before God? When we remember God's goodness and acknowledge what he's done for us in the past and we open the door into his presence, he will increase our hearts of this wonderful truth. Our prayers will not be in vain. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, Christians who are mighty in prayer are those given to thanking and praising God. Someone has said, try it. Well, I would say, do more than try it. Do it. And I believe this not just a suggestion from God. I believe it's a directive, it's a command from God that we must be thankful as we pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word tonight.